Welcome to the Kara's Cures Digital Show and Podcast. I'm Kara Sundlin. This episode is sponsored by the Center for Advanced Reproductive Services. So how can you help your kids and teens ace back to school without those jitters? I'm speaking with child psychologist Dr. Laura Saunders about how to deal with anxiety over all the new routines. Welcome, Dr. Saunders. Thank you very much, Kara. So is this um, something that you think is even more accelerated right now because of coming out of the pandemic? I think there's multiple factors that play a role. I mean, this is the transition point for parents and and children and teens every year, right? So um, I think there's some all there's additional anticipatory anxiety around, you know, we're going to start back sort of in a more typical way, but is that going to change at some point? Um, what I encourage people to do is sort of focus on the moment, right? You're going back to school. This is the way it's going to be. None of us can predict how it will be in November. Like, so we have to let that unfold and then make decisions at that time. Um, what we know is that really every child handles adjustments differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you always have to take a developmental approach in how you help your child manage some of these adjustment issues. So let's start with teens. Uh, they're probably the most complicated. How do you know? They seem like they don't want any help at all. So how do you know if they need your help? <laughs> right. So it's always a combination of things and it's always uh, sort of like a repetition. They generally don't accept help at the first asking. So you have to sort of find end round ways to, uh, to let them know that you're there to support them. I think it starts with um, identifying like this is, you know, we're making some changes or you're entering high school or you're entering middle school or you're entering your senior year. You know, are there things that you're worried about? Unfortunately, they probably will say no, but you will then refer back to their behavior. You've seemed more moody lately, or you've been in your room a lot more on your own. Um, You've been more cranky, you know, to really kind of use their behavior and, and then just say, listen, I'm here. If you, if you need some help or support, or if you're worried about starting a new school or entering nine, 10, 11, 12th grade, you know, we can talk about that. So you sort of keep that door open and then allow them to step into it. Yeah. So sleep routines. Uh, this is always a struggle. Kids want to push it to the last minute and get that, you know, stay up late to the very last time, sleep in for the very last time. That's probably not a good idea. And it does really affect their moods, right? So the two easiest ways to positively impact mood and energy are through sleep and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Let's deal with sleep because that's, as as we say, the low-hanging fruit. Yes. Um, the We can provide some structure and consistency and routines around bedtime. And I think that is really important. As a general rule, younger kids are more receptive to that. Um, but creating some routines, even moving your bedtime you know, a half hour, an hour earlier, so that it's not such a rough start at the beginning of the year, um, you know, which is within the next week or two for most all schools. Um, So just making some adjustments, finding ways to reduce screen time, getting phones out of the room if you can, um, because it's the buzz and the ding and the, and, and the, you know, little sounds that come off the phone that are very distressing, 
Um, so, you know, turning your phone into a, into a silence mode, really trying to reduce the stimulation that is very disruptive to sleep. Yes. And, you know, this is a good thing. Even with teens, um, I use something called screen time. I know the older they get, they seem to think that's invasive. You know, I can handle it. Um, Do you think parents should be uh, able to block those phones uh, as long as they're living in the house kind of thing? (laughs) Well, that that, it's not an easy task. I'll say it that way. Um, and, and the more you try to create guidelines when they're younger, you know, honestly, if you have a senior in high school, it's really hard to, to sort of dial them back in. It doesn't mean you don't try. Um, and you look for sort of what we call harm reduction, right? So it's not like I'm taking your phone away and you won't have it for a month. It's, you know, let's see if you can, you know, shut down your phone a half hour before bedtime or, you know, turn it off or, you know, silence it. So do things that that kind of reduce harm as opposed to one extreme or the other. You're not necessarily looking to engage in a lot of power struggles yep. right before school starts. So uh, let's talk about um, nutrition as well, um, both for younger kids and older kids. But there's a lot of research, you know, that too much processed food, too much sugar, all of that can lead to behavior problems, focus problems. But you want to do this with a balance, a balanced approach. Yeah. And, and, you know, parents know their kids, right? You have, you have kids that are just great eaters. They eat a little bit of everything. You have kids that are super picky, super finicky, don't want to eat things. And they're also not good about um, taking in food just as a means of fuel, right? It doesn't always have to be, well, I'm not hungry at lunch. Well, I understand that, but food is fuel. So you need to take in something. Having a little something before you leave in the morning to go to school, it could be some type of, of bar or, you know, some, some, it doesn't have to be a whole sit down breakfast, but getting something in your system because food is fuel and, and really trying to drill that into your into your child's head. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, managing anxiety, first of all, uh, we've talked about teens a little bit, um, they might present more with anger or moodiness. Um, younger children, how do you know if they're suffering from anxiety or they're just being shy and nervous? Well, I, I think we can assume in, in a lot of situations that there is some trepidation, worry, anxiety with that comes with a, a transition and adjustment, right? Your child's entering a new grade. It's going to be a new teacher and new kids in that class. And, you know, they're on a, a bus or a new, you know, it's they haven't taken the bus, so it's a new bus route. So really kind of look at what some of those, those things are that could possibly be anxiety-provoking or disruptive. Now, we, certainly we want kids to develop some distress tolerance, but there's ways to develop distress tolerance so that you ease into a transition and not sort of get slammed into it because that just makes it all the more difficult for them. Okay. I, I love this that you said you know, it might be helpful to rehearse the first day. Uh, not necessarily your teens probably not going to let you do this, but someone else is going on a new bus route, a new this, that just having that um, advance experience might reduce a lot of their anxiety in their first day jitters. Yes. So, and, and a lot of schools do this now, but you know, they'll, they'll open the classroom up a couple days before school starts. It's certainly in elementary school, um, take advantage of those opportunities. So you go to the classroom, you, you meet the teacher, you see what other kids might be in that class. 
um, take advantage of those opportunities because they do help reduce anxiety. Um, you know, driving the bus route, if it's a new bus route or if it's a new school, you know, driving the route so you know in advance where some of the difficulties might be or so that your child has knows what to experience. Um, so just doing something that feels proactive, it creates a, a little bit of what we call exposure to what's, you know, what they might have to deal with. Um, so it's just doing some things to reduce anxiety and reduce that kind of anticipatory anxiety. Yeah. And peer relationships. Uh, this is a big thing, especially in high school. They're always nervous about friendships and all of this. Um, but you think of that being really as important as academics. Right. So as a psychologist, I always talk a lot about social skills um, and peer relationships. Right. It's my personal opinion that the development of social skills, the development of peer relationships is equally as important as academics. That's really what school does for you. It gives you a measure of socialization. You have experiences all day long to learn how to follow directions, engage in, in reciprocal exchanges with peers. Um, so really developing social skills is so important and it affects your entire life. So I always talk a lot about, you know, developing friendships, having social skills, understanding the reciprocity of social interactions. And it's important to keep in mind that one friend is a buffer to a lot of difficulties. So it's not like you need to have a group of friends. You just need to find one friend and focus on that person um, and build that relationship. One friend. Yeah. Uh, so, um, if your child really does have a diagnosis like anxiety or ADHD or uh, behavioral problems, you recommend that parents strongly advocate for their kids, and they might be entitled to a 504 or an IEP, which could really help them at school. Yes. And, you know, certainly we can do a whole segment on this, and, and hopefully we will in the next few weeks. But it really is imperative that parents become the best advocate for their child. It is the school's responsibility to provide an appropriate education in the least restrictive environment. However, there's a lot of kids in a classroom or in a school for them to attend to. So it is imperative that the parent takes that lead to say, listen, my child has a learning disability. They were diagnosed with this in a previous school, or I believe they might have a learning disability and these are the reasons why and I'm requesting some additional support or some testing. So parents really do need to take that lead and be advocates for them. I believe wholeheartedly that, you know, schools want to do the right thing for, for children, um, but they do need a little bit of that advocacy in order to, you know, realize which children might be struggling. Yeah, uh, I, there's, it's, it's a lot to learn as a parent, but I see what you mean. And you don't, you want us to be respectful. Teachers are hardworking and we love them, but they, it, it, they have a lot of kids to manage and only you know your kid better. One thing I read suggested she writes a letter to each teacher every year in the first person for her child. Like, I am Julian, I am this, and that. I really prefer, if I'm having a hard time, I would prefer that you ask me to take a walk. Or I'm this, like, that, that, it, it seemed like a good idea. It was a magazine article, but the idea that, like, you just sum it up. Some schools ask for that, like, how does your child learn better? But if not, is it, you would recommend that teachers would be willing to read something that's going to help them figure out your kid faster. Yeah, teachers, especially at the elementary school level, really want to, you know, learn what 
it works best for your child. So giving them information really is helpful. A lot of times um, teachers ask for that somewhere in the beginning of the school year, but certainly if they don't, you can offer that. Parent involvement is what makes the biggest difference in school climate and, you know, and educational opportunities. Um, absolutely. Teachers are so hardworking. So many schools are having teacher shortages because of all the stress that they had to manage uh, during COVID and the global pandemic. So be kind to the teachers out there. We love our teachers. They are doing frontline work. And re remember that teachers spend probably as much time with your child as you do in a given day. Right. So we have to be kind to our teachers. And I know you just came out of a meeting um, with educators where often that happens. If you uh, are seeing a psychologist, the psychologist will come in and, and ask for, this is how I think this child's going to learn the best. You sit in a lot of those meetings. So in closing, I'll ask you, what do you think um, from where you sit that you and teachers wish parents knew and wish parents did more of? So I would, I would say it's two things. I, I really think we need to focus on the positive. How does my child learn best, right? So, so really putting that out there. The other thing is, is asking how you can help. How can I help my, you know, how can I help my child's classroom? Is there something that I can do? So, you know, being open to helping the teacher or being open to information, letting, you know, letting the school administrators know, I, I support you. I, I hope that what will happen this year is all good things. Um, so being open to opportunities and hoping for the best. Yes. It is a learning experience, right? Got to remember it's a journey for these kids. <laughs> All right, Dr. Saunders, thank you so much. Joining us, Dr. Laura Saunders is a child psychologist at the Institute of Living, and we hope with uh, this information we can all go back to school feeling a little bit better. Thanks, doctor. Take care, Kara. And you can watch more content that is on the cutting edge of wellness on Kara's Cures on WFSB Plus or listen on the Kara's Cures podcast. I'd love it if you subscribe or download. Uh, leave us a review while you're there. And if this content is meaningful to you, please share it with your friends. You can always follow me on social media at Kara Sundlin. I share this content there. Have a great day and be well.